Welcome to the Church for Dummies podcast, where we explain church history and ecclesiology to dumb people like us. Now here are your hosts, Josh Whitney and Isaac Thibodeau. We're doing it. We're doing our podcast. Well, who are you calling dumb, Josh? Mostly the people we're talking to, because we're obviously the ones doing the podcast. Right. So we have most of the knowledge. We do. These these people listening are are the dumb people. Right. I just said like us to make them not feel as bad. Josh, I think we're dumb too. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I, I don't can, know if that's I can live with that. correct, but I think we're... we're so I'm Josh. And I'm, I'm Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> and this is our first episode. We... We're going to spend this time pretty much 30 minutes just talking about ourselves, why we came to this conclusion to do this podcast, and this is going to be just a great time of listening about us. So I really hope that you buckle in, right? That's what we're doing. Josh, that's not what we're doing. That's right. not the script. That's All right. I wrote my own script. So what are we doing today? Yeah, then? let me give you my script. So what we're going to be talking about is what is church? Not what is the church, not what is a church. But what is church? What is church? What is church, bro? <laughs> Do you even church? Do you even church, bro? I <laughs> so, church. Oh, I church too. Oh, that's so cool. let's talk about it. Okay. So first of all, we should talk about why are we talking about church and church history? That makes sense. Because that's what our podcast is about. Like you yeah. said in the intro, it's explaining church history and ecclesiology, which yep. is the doctrine of the church mm-hmm. to dumb people like us. So why are we doing this? We're doing this because I think we both share a very common interest in the church. Um, We're both somewhat of research nerds, so we love digging into history, but we also believe that the church in whole should be aware of our history. Um, The common phrase, I don't even know who said it, but uh, learn from history or you're doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. Uh, How much more so should we take care of that? for the church. So we can't just move ahead and do whatever we want for our church. We should look back to our roots. And mainly where we can get that from is, amazingly, the Bible, because it is one of the most historically accurate documents, regardless of secularism or or different writings. The Bible is very historically accurate across the board. And so we can look back through church history and see what we did great and where we failed, where are we now, and are there things that we should take back to a more original viewpoint from the more beginning stages of the church? What about Uh, you? Yeah, I agree. I second that. I think especially as Protestants, we tend... We're Protestants? Are we giving that away? Uh, I guess so. (laughs) Well, the cat's out of the bag now. We're Protestants. Sorry for all you Catholics and Orthodox out there. I know it's Pretty disappointing, but yes, we're Protestants, and we do like church history, believe it or not, Catholics. Uh, we really do. <laughs> and we think it's great. Because um, we're the authors of church history. We can try oh, out, we can go like all the way me? back to John Baptist. You and me? All right, we're not, we're not doing the trail of blood thing, bro. <laughs> no? no? Oh, whoops, sorry, no. sorry. <laughs> no, that's for another episode. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so I think it's important that Protestants, especially... Mm. learn about church history because growing up, I think the furthest back I knew about the church history, 
of course, like the time of the apostles, which is in the Bible itself. Right. But Other than pretty that. much every Christian knows and believes that, right? Right. But after that, after the apostles' writings um, and the apostles died, like that whole time frame, pretty much like I didn't learn anything about church history until like I heard a little bit about Martin Luther, but didn't really know what went on then. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like Charles Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, where I started like that time frame, you know, yeah. Charles Spurgeon, A.W. Tozer, yeah, and pretty much the the whole like 20th century. That's where uh, you, you you hear talked about a lot, and right? From from my point of view, anyways, when growing up as a Protestant, but didn't hear so much about the Reformation, and didn't definitely didn't hear about the Middle Ages and whatnot theologically with the uh, with the church. Right. No, the first time I heard about church history, other than jokes about the Crusades, was my first year of Bible college. Ooh. That's that's when I, I distinctly know that I started hearing specific things about church history. We just, yeah, never grew up learning about that or even considering that being somewhat important. Because we have the Bible, so we just read the Bible, and then we know what to do. Right. And it doesn't matter what Christians thought the Bible said for 2,000 years, right? You can just read the Bible. We can just read the Bible, and we know exactly what they meant, even though there's 2,000 years of cultural difference, right? Oh, it doesn't make sense. None of of that makes any sense. You just read the Bible, Isaac. Okay. That's all we got to do. Just read the Bible. So so why are we even doing this podcast then? Because we don't believe that. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, because we do believe that church history has validity to it. And yeah. so we're going to explore that right now. Right now. So let's right do it, now. Josh. What does church mean? Ooh. Well, first, um, one of the main reasons we get the word church is that's when it was more prominently used to talk about the early Christian church. And in that time, that was um, most of the writings then were in Greek or Aramaic. So we get Um, a lot of what we do now from the Greek word ecclesia, which means a called out assembly, which if I'm not mistaken, has more of a community government sort of, sort of feel to it where you call out an assembly of the, of the, of the community to gather and talk about these things. Mm -hmm. And so that then got adopted to the church. Right. And that word ecclesia in Greek was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, Mm -hmm. and oftentimes when talking about the assembly of Israel, Mm -hmm. the word ecclesia was used to translate that. So yes, that just validates what you're saying, like if there is a gathering or a group of people, especially if they were called out for a particular reason or purpose, they were called an ecclesia. Mm -hmm. And that's the language that the New Testament uses about Christians, people who follow Christ collectively. Yes. The called out ones. Called out ones. What about the word church, though, in English? Like, where did that come from? So that one I didn't really know about until we started doing this. So that was really fun. Um, That one comes from the German word Kirch. Did I say it right? I think so. Kirch? It's either... Yeah, I I can't do German accent. Kirch! (laughs) Hold on. Let me build up some phlegm. That's really gross for you guys just listening. <laughs> but Kirk, which, and, and that means the Lord's house. The Lord's house. Like a building? Like a building, because that's what the church is. The church it's is a, the building. It's just the four it's, walls. It's just the, the four walls. And once you leave that four walls, 
you're now on your own. You've left the church. You've left the church. Dude, why'd you abandon Christ, bro? It's Wait, his body. So, oh, that's true. Yeah. So if we leave the church, are we then abandoning the body of Christ? Well, that depends on what you mean by church. And that's what Snap. gets us in. What a transition. To the etymological implications. So we, we are talked professionals. about professionals. Oh, yeah, we are. We're so good. So we talked about the etymology of the church, meaning mm-hmm. like the, the idea of the church and the word itself, mm-hmm. right? Um, that was ecclesia. And then oh, we, we never went to the Hebrew. We that's that's okay. That's, shh. that's okay. Shh. That's okay. Anyways, we'll talk. So the etymological <laughs> implication. So we f- kind of found out what it means. Let's talk about what that implies. So first, right. the first thing it implies is that church is people. The called out assembly. Right, a called out assembly. So it is people. Ah. So that's the first thing. So if you have never heard of a good explanation of the church before, and there's, I'm sure there are lots of different opinions about it. The very thing we should all be able to agree on. Is this the three-leaf clover? Uh, what does that mean? The three-leaf clover. Is that the church analogy? No, that's the Holy Spirit. Never mind. Continue. <laughs> the Trinity? <laughs> I don't know that that's a good analogy for the Trinity. It's not. Okay. Um, this is the comic relief part. Oh. <laughs> Why don't you continue on being serious? <laughs> I was right before. I am part of the dummies. All right. Continue. <laughs> you, you've proven it, Josh. Um, <laughs> Nailed it. So called out assembly implies people. Yes. So we know that the church or a church or church, it definitely involves people. Mm-hmm. And the way the New Testament uses it, you know, it's like in a, in a universal sense, right? In a, in a big picture, like it's just one word, the church, right? Right. But there's... So flesh that out. Like what? Yeah. So as far as the people, I think we've heard that a lot growing or in our generation, we heard that a lot growing up um, where we were talking about churches, churches, the people. Um, I think I heard that a lot in youth group. So um, for all you church kids out there that grew up in the church, like Isaac and myself, um, you start in youth group at like sixth grade or depending on what, and like you, that, that's like your, your, your village, your group of people until you graduate high school. Um, so in th- that environment, I always heard all the time that church is people, church is the people. Um, because I think one of the things that we had gotten to, um, was, was actually more four wall focus, like we were talking about before, but without going too far ahead, church is the people. Um, actually we're just your sermon. You just preached last week, this last Sunday, which was a day ago. That was fantastic <laughs> was by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, and and you kind of you kind of flush that out a little bit. Um, you flush that out about the people that Jesus being the uh, the temple, and he made that clear in 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 his teaching that he was the temple. He is the cornerstone, um, and so we are priests of that temple because um, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But Christ is the actual temple. He is what the temple all throughout. Um, Jewish history, that's what it was all pointing to, mm-hmm. was Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, since he is the temple, we then are the priests, the holy priesthood um, for that temple, which then means that we are the church now. Mm-hmm. Not, not a building, not the temple. Christ is now the temple, and then we are the priests 
that get to enter into the holies of holies, God's presence, because the spirit lives within us. So now we mm. are those people of, uh, of, of the temple. Yeah. So it's definitely, so church is people. Yes. So it's not a place, right? Right. It's but, not a place. But. It so that must place. means that we don't need a place. How does that, do we all just Zoom call? We all just Zoom call. So it's COVID. You have to Zoom call. So that's actually been the right way to do it all this time. <laughs> so that's what I was talking earlier about, about hearing all the time in youth group that church is a people, church is a people. And I think we, we unfortunately, history always goes in huge pendulum swings um, where church was a place for so long that we wanted to kind of abandon that and church as a people. And I think what that happened is that kind of created another swing to the pendulum that, well, so if church, if the people are the church, then we don't necessarily need the building. Can't we just go out into nature and can't we just kind of minister to each other and like nature and, and just kind of like have that since we are the living embodiment of the church, we can just kind of go about that way. And I think that's a huge flaw. Right. Because, um, again, etymological implications, this is a called out assembly. Mm. We are to assemble together. Mm -hmm. And now while I mean, I think you can meet outside as a local church. However, there is an actual assembly of the church. And most practically, that would be in a building. Right. Yeah. Because of weather and whatnot. Uh, right. Totally, totally agree. So basically what you're saying based on these implications of the definition of what church means or what ecclesia means is right. it's definitely people, but it's not just people just isolated from each other. Right. It's people gathered together yeah. for a reason, right? They're gathered together for a purpose and that implies a place where they gather and it wouldn't have to be necessarily the same place every time. Right. But certainly they are gathering together. Yes. Right. So I have a question then. Okay. Um, this might be somewhat of a rhetorical question, but what kind of significance then should we place on the church itself? The actual church, when I say church now, I mean building, because we do meet in a building. And when, whenever we say, hey, man, do you want to come to church with me? We're not talking about them coming over to you physically and you standing next to each other and be like, congratulations, you're now at church. <laughs> that yeah. would be weird. That would be. <laughs> but so... Um, we church is the people, but church also has to gather. The people have to gather, and so that's how we get in, into these assemblies. Both the Greek and Hebrew word both have some kind of connotation of assembly. Um, so, how much emphasis should we put on the actual building itself? Um, is it so? When I was growing up, church was like holy ground. You didn't. This actually is kind of true still. We still do this. But you don't run in church. You don't wear hats in church. You don't um, have food in certain parts of the church because it's you almost had the sense like as soon as you walked in, you're now in a different holy place. Mm. There, you're, you're supposed to be different because now, and this is, I think, one of the downfalls to the where we get church from the German word that means Lord's house, we now feel like, okay, now that you're here, now you're in the Lord's house. So be different. And is that the case? No. Oh. And yes. Oh. Mm, spicy. Go into it. So, <laughs> so no, in the sense that there is 
nothing inherently holy about the place where the church gathers because the holy the holiness comes from from the people like we are the body of christ and of course that's an alien holiness it's not a holiness that we have ourselves it's a holiness that god gives us freely as a gift as his people but what's holy is the fact that god's people are gathering together yes the place where they do that is kind of irrelevant the early church met in catacombs that's basically a graveyard underground like where bodies sounds nice i can't imagine that smelled good (laughs) no no like (laughs) that like it doesn't it's not holy (laughs) in that sense you know it's already really gross down there to vampires it is they can't they can't go on cemeteries where the dead are do we believe in vampires no sorry another one of those comic relief things anyways oh okay (laughs) (laughs) Um, so so no it's not holy Mm. However, however, there is an aspect which needs to be taken into consideration. So, yeah, as far as reality, objective reality is concerned, no. The place where the church gathers, the physical location, whether it's a building or somewhere outside. Like there wasn't like three gallons of holy water sprinkled on no. the premise to make it holy. No, there wasn't because we're right. Protestant. We don't believe in holy water. Oh, sorry. Uh, right. <laughs> come on. Get your facts sorry, straight, Sorry, sorry, sorry. But... No, so the place where the church gathers, the people gather, yeah. is not more or less holy. Mm. It's that's irrelevant. Mm. Um, however, subjectively to the individual person, there may be an aspect where a place is less or more holy to that person. This is what I mean. Okay, there are places personally that I can think of where I, when I go there to pray, or I go there to read my Bible. It's so it's way easier to set aside the distractions and just focus on God. So mm. like one place where that is the case for me is when I'm in my office and oh, okay. I close my door and I'm just sitting there at my desk and I have my Bible. It is gotcha. It's just way it's, it seems like more holy. It's like a more of a holy place. Even though it's not really, it seems that way to me because I can just set apart everything that I'm used to doing and thinking about and I can just I can just pray and just think about God in a more clear way. And I know Mm. a lot of people feel that way about the building where their church gathers, especially if it's like a big, beautiful cathedral or something. It gives you this sort of subjective feeling of awe and wonder that Mm. helps you worship God better. So in that sense, there could be an aspect on the personal level where it feels more or less holy. That makes sense. Which is probably why people are so strongly opinionated about it, because they feel that way about the place where they gather. Right. But they're not making that distinction between objective and subjective. Gotcha. Makes sense? That does. I think, so for me, I think that's anywhere other than my couch. (laughs) Like, so for me, if I'm on my couch, I can get either really tired or I can get very distracted because we have two dogs and my wife who's all, who also lives with me. Um, so Your wife lives with you. Dude? She does. It's, it's, we have this really modern kind of marriage. It's actually really exciting. We live in the same house. You know, we share the same bed, we share the same food, things like that. It's really, it's pretty cool. I should try that sometime you should. with my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, where did, oh, well, anyways, we, I built this dog house out sure, back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So this church stuff. <laughs> She makes me sleep in the doghouse, folks, that, that so don't sense. worry. I don't make my wife sleep that out makes there. makes sense. And she's not on this podcast to defend herself, so we just have to take your word for it and assume that it's true. Right. What a terrible... That's terrible. I need Man. counseling, bro. That's okay. We can do that. 
So anyways, for me, it's pretty much anywhere other than the couch. So I can like go outside and sit in a chair and it's just, I think it's a different environment because I feel really comfortable at home. So yeah, I totally understand where you're getting at. And we kind of don't want to shove those kind of concerns to the side, be like, we shouldn't feel that way because this church isn't holy by itself. Like, because we are people that feel emotionally connected to things. We do have an emotional connection to where we are, memories. So I don't think that's invalid. I don't think we can look at scripture and go, anyone who has some sort of sentimental or emotional connection to their church should repent because that's evil. Like, no, I, I don't think we could go anywhere in scripture and say that. So absolutely, there is a significance and to some extent, a holiness to the church that you actually gather in. Absolutely. Mm. Um, that's good. So one thing I really loved as we were talking about this was uh, a quote you came up with as we talked about the like the definition of, of why we gather, even though we are the church, and why we gather based off of the Greek and the Hebrew. And I think it's a really sweet transition to what we've talked next. So I want to okay. I want to set you up for that quote. Thanks, what was man. that? Thanks. So let me say something first. The church with what we've talked about so far, it's a people that's gathered in a place. Yeah. Right. And that place can change, but they're the people. There's a people, but we run into a problem mm. because the church is talked about in many places as a singular organism, a singular organization of people. However, right. those people can't gather in person at the same time altogether. Like the Christians in Ethiopia and the Christians right. in France there would be and Christians, Christians exactly. in Russia. There's Christians in other countries and they can't all gather together. So what do they do Even instead? They gather in smaller groups, right? In smaller groups. And we still, right. and we call those churches and the New Testament calls them churches. It says the church and in a lot of places when it's speaking like cosmically in this big grand scheme of things, it talks about the church singular. But right. then, especially in the letters like Galatia, um, Galatians, Paul says that, you know, greetings to the churches in Galatia or the churches of Galatia. So plural, there's multiple churches, multiple ecclesias, multiple gatherings. So how does that work? Well, I think this is how it works. There's one body of Christ expressed in local gatherings. Ooh. So one universal body, right? One universal church expressed in local gatherings. Awesome. So let's let's start unpacking that then. Okay. So what are so we've gotten into the etymological implications. What does it mean to have be the people of the church yet being called out assembly and we kind of broke that down. So theologically then, how do we get to having local gatherings? Yeah. I think one of the first things we have is an example of leadership. Hmm. We have we have in these local assemblies um, a, an actual structure of leadership um, where, like we were talking about before, you don't just have a bunch of Christians that say, we're going to gather here and we'll be church. And then you just kind of read the Bible, you read the scriptures together, you eat together, you pray together, and that makes church. Because um, even in the very, very early stages where we didn't have wonderful buildings like we have now, we they met in catacombs, there was still an element of leadership. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we get that from places like First Timothy. We get that from Titus 1. Um, that, that scripture from the apostles 
who are inspired by God to write these things actually set up a set of leadership for the church. Right. Mm, yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, that, and that's so key. One of the, and it's, it's local leadership, right? Because we know in Hebrews chapter 13, I believe, mm. right. When it, it talks about people not forsaking the gathering together. Right. And then also submitting to your elders, submitting to your elders. Yeah. And that might've been first Peter. I think that's in a few different places. Yeah, well, that makes sense. But I, anyways, the, the point is like you're supposed to submit to leaders. Well, does that mean I'm supposed to submit to a leader in Ethiopia, a church leader in Ethiopia? Well, no, because I'm not part of that local gathering. I'm right. gathering with these Christians. Because that leader, they have a different culture in Ethiopia where to govern us here would be very strange where we would look at their instructions and go, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. We don't have that here. Right. And this, this would, if we unpack this a little bit further, our, our Baptist is going to start showing our Baptist uh, <laughs> How, ecclesiology. <laughs> do they have committees in right. Ethiopia? <laughs> do they have a but, Sunday committee and a potluck committee? Right. <laughs> but without getting too into the weeds on sure. that whole thing, because that would be another episode for another time. Uh, um, yeah. As far as just like local leadership is concerned, like it, New Testament clearly says like the church has leaders, the Lord gave us leaders. And in order for that to practically work itself out, it has to be local leadership. And whatever they say goes, we just to submit to your leaders the same way that scripture talks about submitting to your husband. Like it's, it's just full on whatever they say, regardless of how crazy it sounds, because they are elders in the church or an elder, if there's just one, you know, we just do whatever they say. Hmm. No. Oh. Mm -mm. So what do we do? Well, not that. Oh, good. <laughs> I could answer that question, but I feel like that would, again, get into ah. the just the our our Baptist so I guess theology. what I meant by that more or less isn't like uh, isn't all right so let's break down the rules of government but I think one of the things that everyone can agree on regardless if you have two elders we just had our third elder actually installed mm -hmm. a few weeks ago and we that's did. really exciting yeah um, and so you know you might have a pastor and an associate pastor or what have you I think every church would understand that not one person holds an ultimate governing whatever authority over the church unless but you're Catholic unless unless you're Catholic you know, the Pope <laughs> like but, the like the Pope but you guys are the exception. You guys are the exception. I think realistically, we look at scripture and it wouldn't be too hard to say that we do have other authorities than just the one person in our church. I think that that's yeah. biblical. And I I mean, sure. I'm willing to stand on that as far as like uh, scripture dictating what that elder looks like and what that elder can make decisions on and that mm -hmm. pastor can do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not getting too far into the weeds, but yeah, more or less pointing to local leadership, yes. Ultimate ruling with an iron fist? No. No. Not no. God holds that position. Christ right is still the temple. We are priesthoods mm -hmm. to that temple. Yep. So, yeah. Absolutely. The other thing that, well, one other thing at least, that we get as far as implications are concerned theologically, um, the way that the scriptures use the term church or mm. ecclesia, right? Um, 
so many times all well, really all the, almost all the letters except for like i think second john or third john mm. they're written well no i guess the pastoral epistles so let me back up almost all of the letters a lot the of the <laughs> letters of the letters a lot of the letters are written <laughs> to churches right yeah. Not individual Christians, and where we get right. those verses that mean so much to us, mm. um, the ones that you know we we write on our mm. our like notebooks and on yeah. we get pictures of and put them on our walls and all that. Live, laugh, love. No, I don't think that's in the Bible. No, no, no. Love no. one another. But all those. No, <laughs> no. I don't know what you're talking about. Then I'll let you go. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Yep. All of the verses in those books that are directed to the churches, like they're about the church collective. They're more corporate. So like when it says Christ died for you, mm. like it's the weight of that is a corporate sense, not just an individualistic sense. So like the first way I should be seeing that is Christ died for the church, for his people, for this group of people, like seeing it as, as like this, a corporate thing. And yeah. then, and then it's also individual at the same time, but seeing it corporately, seeing these these sayings that the New Testament talks about corporately, and that emphasis is the corporate over the individual Ooh. in the New Testament. Yes, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I love that thought. Yeah, and I think that that helps us, and it's hard because we're in a Western culture that is very individualistic. That's our, I mean, the entire establishment of our country is the individual liberties of humans, yeah. of the people of America. Right. But that's definitely not the emphasis of the Bible. It, the Bible doesn't set aside individuals. Right. It definitely affirms that. It's not purely corporate. Right. But it is definitely primarily corporate, or at least first it's corporate and by implication individual in a lot of senses. Yeah. Maybe not in every way. But especially in this way, I would say. Yeah. So corporate over the individual then is we're, we're really trying to dig into the point that um, for the body, for the local assembly, um, we are to have an emphasis of what is good for the body here more so than what is the, what is the immediate benefit for me. Mm. So that can look in a few different ways. Um, one that can be um, serving, where you might, you might not have a particular great, ultimate, glowing, glorified gift from God that, like, uh, like singing. As soon as you open up your mouth, it is just angelic harmonies and notes and music, because I don't know music that well, just flowing out. Like, you might not have that where you go, maybe I should be singing in my church to as as my service like you might not have a defining thing does that mean then you don't serve because you don't have a special ability like because that would be better since you don't know what that one thing is or is it better for the body to instead serve regardless of what that one thing because i think that's actually how you can find that one thing you might be good at is by actually serving the body so even though it might be uncomfortable for you, you might not be great at tech. I say tech because that's what one of my primary responsibilities at church is me, along with one of our elders, Eric, 
um, and then Josh and Phil, we have a few people, we, we run the audio and the visual for our service. To me, that comes very naturally, so I just fit right in there. I sometimes have to find myself willing to do other things that don't necessarily go in with that tech because I want to be a service to the body. Um, and so you might not know a lot about tech. Actually, I just spoke with someone in our church that was like, hey, I heard you guys need help. Do you want my help? It's not like a terrific passion of his. Be like, I just, I, I gotta be a tech guy. He just knew that that was a need in our church. He's like, I could help. And so I think that's an instance of corporate over the individual. Yeah, that, no, that's that's a perfect example, Josh. I think that really hits that really hits it on the head because that's exactly what Christ wants for yeah. His church, right? He emphasized love for one another, sacrificing ourselves for one another. Yeah, right for. Because that's what Christ did for us. And yeah. that's what we're to do the same. And he said that the world will know you by your love for one another. I think another good distinction, and I'll let you take this one, is does one another mean your fellow human brothers and sisters? Ooh, nada. Like, so when he says love one another, care for one another, take care of one another, you'll know, you, they'll know me by the way you love one another. Are they talking about how we take care of our fellow humans here on earth and are the local community members? No, because like I said earlier, those letters where a lot of that stuff is written, like love one another, all those things, um, especially from Paul, those are written to churches. So he's speaking, love one another means love your fellow Christian. Oh. Yeah. And the only way that you can possibly do that, practically speaking, is if you are actually getting together with believers. Boom. Yeah. You actually have to get together, believe it or not. You can't just stay at home and say, I am the church because you're not the church by yourself. Ooh. You're not, you're not the church by yourself. That's some good truth. I think a lot of people need to, I know I need to hear that. That's yeah. where I spent a lot of my early years in the church was just kind of not caring. Yeah. My parents wanted me to go to church. Um, we had fun things at church. And so I just kind of attended church, mm. but there's a wonderful glory uh, uh, and blessing and grace when you realize like you actually have an input here. You are supposed to be here. Christ shows his love in the way that you love your fellow brothers and sisters in that community. Mm, that's good. So I think yeah. one last thing we want to say before we wrap up. Yeah. We had previously talked about the, the local aspect to the church, right? Mm -hmm. But the New Testament still uses this language of one church. So... Ooh, yes. So that does imply like this one church is gathered together, but we haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I'm not gathering with the Ethiopian, the Russian, right, the French, right. the Italian. So the, the cool thing is that the Bible prophesies of a day where there will be no more local churches. There'll be no more churches. There will just be, for all practical purposes, the church or a church. Like actually together? Yeah. So all the Christians from all generations who have ever lived, all of God's people, Can all who are united imagine? to Christ, will be gathered together in one place. We call that the new Jerusalem, the new earth, new heavens and new earth, when Christ sets up his kingdom and he comes back. Boom. One church, all gathered together from all time. Have you been in a room where it's been like really awesome and people are just singing together and where... Uh, 
singing together. People are having a great time. And I, I don't mean great time loosely. I'm talking in the sense of actual worship and glorifying God and just the energy that is in that room. Multiply that by the hundreds of millions of people, all of the wonderful saints that exist now and have existed and will exist because we don't know when that day comes. We finally get to be one church. And we all can partake of the Lord's Supper together with him. Yes. And I think it's going to be a full-on meal at that point, yes. if I understand it correctly, with Christ, because he said, I won't eat of this again until, or I think it drink, drink the wine again, until I drink of it in my kingdom, right? Am I quoting it right? I like it. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> the thought is there. there. <laughs> yeah, the thought is definitely there, where... As we as we take the Lord's Supper together as mm. local churches, we're looking forward to the day when the whole church will be will be together sharing yeah. this meal with Christ Himself. Yes, at the end of the age. Boom, man! Awesome stuff. That's going to be awesome. It will. Well, I we think, did it. I think we did it, man. First episode, dude. This is so crazy. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. I had an awesome time. I hope people get to hear our heart, get to hear our love for the church. I mean, I think if there's one goal that we get from this is that our listeners understand fully the importance of the church and get to learn this rich history we have uh, over the last couple of thousand years of the church since Jesus' departure or ascension departure, like a plane, his ascension back to back to uh, uh, be at the right hand of the Father. And now we then get to look back at what has Christ, not us, Christ been doing in his mm. church, finding some of the ways where we decided to be to kind of take that role and how it led us astray and how we get to learn from that. I'm really looking forward to this. Awesome. Well, that is all for today's episode. Stick around next time for more Church for Dummies content. Only if you're a dummy. Only if you're a dummy like us. Consider subscribing and we will see you next time.